It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. He gathered the crewmen so they would know the that he well intended to turn the ship around and go back to that fury in hopes that some sailor would not have to drown I know I'm the captain and you all would follow wherever I ordered whatever I say we have beat wind's terror and reached the base shelter but Fitzgerald's gone missing within the cruel wave he stood with arms folded waiting for an answer his mate plotted course back out to the lake each man was in favor the Anderson was stormbound, searching for sailors, whatever it takes. Oh, the Arthur M. Anderson still sails the water. Captain Cooper's gone now. In 93, he died. Another skipper charts her, the ship he loves so dearly. But the legend of Cooper and Fitzgerald didn't die Whenever the storms rake the lakes with their vengeance The spirit of Cooper remains in command Good morning everybody, welcome to the show, I'm Tom Sumner There was a little snippet of, uh, well actually, uh, Flint's own uh, Dan Hall in a song called uh, Cooper of the Anderson and uh, that's a little tease next hour we're going to be remembering the uh, 45th anniversary of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald in Lake Superior 
And uh, we're going to have uh, joining us an investigative videographer who's been on the show a lot of times about shipwrecks and other things, uh, Roscoe Clark. But he's going to be joined by the daughter of the cook from the Edmund Fitzgerald, Pam Anderson. And it's pretty uh, pretty interesting reflection coming up during the second hour. In the third hour, we'll talk about income inequality with uh, Chuck Collins from the Institute for Policy Studies and inequality.org. But uh, coming up this first hour, we're going to talk about something a lot more fundamental, and that is essentially where do humans really come from? And... Uh, in, in order to have that conversation, my guest this hour is an author and former medical reporter for KABC in Los Angeles. Um, he has a new book called Are We Here to Recreate Ourselves? The Convergence of Designs by Jeffrey Simmons, M.D. And uh, Jeffrey is uh, joining me by phone. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Um, let, me, let me ask... Um, First of all, um, one of the, the questions that, that I had as I was looking over this uh, book and, and some of the material is um, humans seem preoccupied with why we're here and not as much about who we are and where we came from. Uh, yeah, not a simple question. Uh, and why we are here. Uh, do we have a purpose? Uh, is there any reason that we're here? Are we here accidentally? Um, I'm a fellow with the Discovery Institute in Seattle, and uh, I've got, this is my third book on basically intelligent design. And so, uh, and this, this particular book addresses purpose, at least one purpose. Why we are here, I mean, one could get religious, uh, I mean, to glorify God, uh, to uh, teach religion, to be spiritual, along, a lot of things along that religion line. One could be secular and say, you know, it's to be successful, um, it's to make a lot of money, it's, uh, if you have something in between, helping the sick and the ill and the lame, having, you know, a big thing would be... Uh, Having a family, making a family, being a success at what you do, becoming happy, staying healthy. The purposes can go on and on, and depending on your philosophy in life. Well, uh, and people, a lot of people, people who believe strongly in uh, in evolution um, might might simply think it's what's next. Yeah, uh, it boils down to, in a sense, God did it or God didn't do it. Or maybe, maybe, maybe God supervised it. But uh, if you believe in evolution, we we believe in intelligent design, that there's evidence of uh, some intelligence behind what we are and how we came about. Uh, information systems in particular and, and DNA and similarities with machines and computers. But uh, and I go into that in depth. But if, uh, if God did it and, uh, you know, that, that takes a lot of faith, but actually evolution takes a lot of faith, too. The, it used to be when Darwin came out with his theory 150 years ago or thereabouts, uh, you know, he was probably a very brilliant man, and that kind of fit the times, and it fit what he wanted to think. 
And so it became very successful among many. But now that we know so much more about science and, and medical things in particular, which is my area, and, and, I mean, he hardly knew if he knew at all what a cell was. He didn't know uh, about sperm and egg. He didn't know why we look like our parents. He, he didn't know much of anything, how it functioned in the body. And so I think if he knew what we know now, he'd have a little hesitancy in writing and saying what he did. That said, I mean, his theory is kind of engraved in stone, and it's not easy to dispute, and there's some political connotations as well. And so, but it, 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 there's so much, so much, so much. I, my first book, What, when Dar- what Darwin Didn't Know, uh, was a big success. It was about 10 years ago, followed up with Billions of Missing Links, and that did well, too, and they're both still selling on Amazon. This one, uh, you know, it has to do with, are we here to recreate ourselves? And that's talking about purpose. And so I go into all the possible purposes we could be here, but then I kind of hone down onto, are we here to recreate ourselves? And that sounds a little bit like plastic surgery and uh, exercise and eating good food, but I'm really talking about remaking us and how and so in the course of the book talking about remaking us uh, i i show how difficult how complicated it's complexity upon complexity upon complexity and and so but we're kind of aiming at making a humanoid uh, as a purpose not just happening by accident which is uh actually you asked me a question about accident and evolution now, let me go back before i talk about that robots but if you believe in evolution you have to believe that all these billions of steps, chemical steps that have happened, genetic steps that have happened, all the foresight uh, had to happen all by accident. And there's just not enough time, if indeed it could even happen. And there's calculations that are unbelievably astronomic about how they could possibly come about. When I give a talk, I've talked uh, on universities, campuses, and I've talked uh, and at churches, I've, I've toured... Uh, Spain, I've toured Israel. I often ta- talk, start off with the birth of a child and show how complicated that really is. And I don't get into the, you know, the deep details or, or the anatomical pieces and parts, but when the child is ready to be born in, in mom's womb, it sends a zillion chemical messages to mom's brain. Mom's brain is prepared for these messages, and it sends back messages through the placenta tell the baby it is time to roll and and then the baby kind of shifts in position the head gets in place and the baby starts to move out very complicated in itself and it has to be right uh you can't trial and error this like uh, darwin has nothing to do with natural selection has nothing to do with mutations or uh, uh mistakes and so the baby is delivered and a couple of critical things happen, and particularly no trial and error here. There's a moment where, you know, the baby is out of the womb, out of the birth canal, and it has to breathe within four minutes, especially since if the placenta has been clamped. It has to breathe in four minutes. That's the maximum. And so you couldn't have a trial and error where the baby breathed or took a breath in five minutes or six minutes. It has to take the breath takes it too soon in this birth canal, it dies. takes it too late, it has brain damage, or it dies. And not, not only that, but there's kind of, a, it's kind of a valve in one of the arteries that goes to the lungs. And 
this valve opens up. And what the reason for that is while the baby's in mom's womb, it can't, it, there's no need for it to breathe. It's an amniotic fluid. In fact, if it did breathe, uh, it might have problems. But we find amniotic fluid in babies' lungs all the time when they're born. So it's not a critical issue. But we don't find much. But there's no reason to breathe in mom's uterus. But there's absolutely a reason to breathe when she comes out. So this valve closes off an artery and sh- basically shifts the blood flow to the lungs so the lungs can now breathe and take in oxygen. This is a critical phenomenon. You couldn't have this happen part way or 75% or 25%. If it does, this person, this child, is in, this newborn has to have surgery. Well, we're talking for the last many, many hundred years we've been around, maybe thousands and thousands of years, and uh, you can't have this work any other way than the baby gets blood to the lungs, starts taking in oxygen so the body can survive. So... This is foresight, for one. This is complex, for two. And when we look at uh, what the body has, there's a lot of engineering, a lot of plumbing, uh, a lot of foresight. And for instance, you know, we have this COVID epidemic, which is is prominent in the news on a big-time daily basis. And we're talking about a vaccine starting yesterday that will help us fight this. What this vaccine is, probably, is... uh, either to help us make antibodies or make a specific antibody to this uh, infecting organism, this COVID, just like a flu vaccine. It prompts the body to make antibodies. The body has the capability of making these antibodies to a lot of different diseases. And, And unfortunately, this is a problem with the elderly, but it's not a problem with the young. So have I talked your ear off with the answer? Or no, I no, I, but, I, but I did have a question. Um, sure. Would a baby start to breathe within that four minutes without the iconic uh, slap on the bottom? Yes. Yes. It might breathe sooner with a slap. I'm not sure about that. I've never seen a study. But, no, you don't need to do that. Uh, I've delivered. I'm an internist, so I haven't delivered babies in a long time. But in my training... I calculated it out once. I, I delivered about 100 babies. I don't remember slapping any one of them. In fact, they're so slippery, you better just hold on. Uh, <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you feel like you're going to lose them if they're going you know, to squirt out of your hands. you really got to be careful. And so, I mean, we wipe them down or dry them very quickly and wrap them up in the, the appropriate wrappings. And that helps a whole bunch. But the very, very beginning, yeah you got to hold on, and uh, um, sometimes it gets a little tricky. Um, Jeffrey, I have to take a break here. Can you stick around? I want to talk sure. some more about Absolutely. this. Um, sure. The uh, name of the book is Are We Here to Recreate Ourselves? The Convergence of Designs. And I'm talking uh, about macroevolution and intelligent design theory with uh, Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons. And uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint. And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then we'll be right back with Jeffrey Simmons.
Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, pearly gate rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian Residence, add $3. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner program.com. The Tom Sumner program.com. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is uh, Dr. Jeffrey Simmons, the author of Are We Here to Recreate Ourselves? The Convergence of Designs. Jeffrey, uh, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Oh, sure. We were talking about uh, the, the um, phenomenon of uh, birth in the in the last segment and uh, up to the last uh, last break but yet uh, your book is is titled are we here to recreate ourselves mm-hmm. and there are other ways that humans seem sort of drawn to um, recreating versions of themselves from dolls to robots to clones and right. AI what what is it about um, us that makes us want to make more us? Excellent question. Um, I think a little bit of it is uh, there's a mountain and I need to climb it. Uh, but I, I, I sometimes wonder if we have got some kind of uh, something built into us, you know, to naturally explore outer space. And what we're learning is that the humanoids, or at least robots, are probably going to be able to do it a whole lot better than we can. Um, we 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 need robots for other reasons too. I mean, we, we're finding that we uh, need robots to save people in nuclear disasters and perhaps fires of that sort. We're having them do our drudgery work. They're doing a lot of stuff, which is a huge part of my book. But when it comes to traveling to outer space, if you if you just look at at it just logically. And I look at it, I hope, that way and, and more. Um, to get to Mars, which is the next big project, it's about a three-year trip each way and about six months there. Well, whoever's going to travel for, for three years, I mean, that's a big chunk of your life. Well, you have to have uh, uh, protection from the elements because there's a lot of damage from cosmic radiation uh, we know that uh, people come back with back problems because gravity affects their spine. We see abnormalities on the MRI in their brain from cosmic radiation. Uh, the two Kelly twins, uh, one who just ran for office, one uh, are astronauts, and the one came back taller than the other one, a lot of back problems. And when they land on Earth, they have terrible problems with balance and weakness in their legs. And that's from and, and low so, that's from low Earth orbit and relatively right. short trips back and forth right. to the uh, right ISS. Absolutely, and so we know there's problems with that. So if you take somebody for three years each way, if it all works out, and I hope it does, if when a human goes, then there's six months there. Suppose this is a success. The next planet, and one has to keep in mind with our present technology or just a slight improvement in it. I mean, who knows if there's something right around the corner that's a drastic change in things. But suppose, you know, that we're traveling the speed of light or through these wormholes or whatever. But assuming the technology is the same, an astronaut has to travel for 10 years, probably to the next planet, each way. 
And who's going to volunteer for that? And and what kind of guarantees can we say to them? We're going to bring you back. And we have to work on it on Earth. So whoever's going to pre-work on this, in a sense, they have to go to sleep maybe because they're going to do suspended animation for 10 years. I wouldn't be in the front of the line to volunteer that. I wouldn't be to do that. I wouldn't be in the line to do that. And so we have to practice suspended animation or something that will keep these people alive round trip plus some. Well, it's not a problem with robots. Uh, and we can have robots doing most everything we do. And the book outlines a host of ways the robots came about and why they came about. But they can do a whole lot of what we can do. In fact, we've got to a stage now where they're starting to look like us. And one asks, you know, is this what we were aiming in part to do? I mean, if you're religious, you would kind of poo-poo this. But there can be a lot of purposes. It doesn't have to be just one purpose. And, and are we here? We've, we're here to explore uh, our continent uh, a few hundred years back. Uh, we, we explored on our continent, one from the east coast to the west coast. And we've been climbing higher and higher mountains till we've hit, you know, the highest. We are I, it's in our blood to explore for whatever reason. Well, we're going to need at robots to do it beyond Marsh, uh, the Mars uh, project. And now, then it comes down to they should look like a person. And the question is, it, it answers probably a yes, because uh, the same thing with the Carl Sagan plaque that was sent up on Voyager where it showed what we look like on a plaque, where we were, uh, our binary system, uh, uh, our music was there. Well, maybe we want to have a, a robot. Sort of a picture is worth a thousand words or a robot's worth 10,000 words. So if we run into extraterrestrials, but there's a lot of uses for humans. Anyway, the two arms with the opposing thumbs and the hands to grasp thing is a, a good function. It's it's not something, it's something we want to copy. Uh, having the vision at the top to see the furthest, having hearing... Uh, a long host of things that are very similar to us that work well. Maybe walking with four legs in some instances is better, but two legs seem to work very well. And if you believe in evolution, that's why we have two legs. So these these robots are not only going to represent us, I think, in outer space, but unfortunately they're also going to be part of war. And we're all using drones and, and uh, uh, similar uh, uh, land animals, similar to robots, Already, I mean, we have uh, sort of a mule, they call it, uh, that can carry more uh, weight than a regular mule can, and you don't have to feed it much, just some oil or gasoline uh, or whatever it's running on. And it can climb mountains. And we have uh, robots that are patrolling in countries now. Uh, we, it's getting to be, uh, there's one, I think it's Singapore, they have police that are robots that uh, put uh, tickets on cars. Uh, in Japan, they have robots that look exactly like people. They can talk 26 languages that greet shoppers as they come in. Um, we're using them in schools, uh, uh, not this country, but in probably no countries with schools right now. But we are using them with schools and, and uh, uh, helping young kids and play with very young kids. We're using them in nursing homes. You have to have one in a nursing home that pretty much looks like a person to work with the elderly. The flip side of this is, are we making people more into robots? And if you go back to the $6 million man from 
my day, maybe not yours, and maybe no, not many I, of I remember those days. Do you? Well, you know, he could run faster almost than a car and jump higher, and he had a vision that was better than everybody, and uh, a powerful arm that could actually shoot. Oh, I think it was darts or something. He didn't have lasers in, in the writing at the time. Well, we're recreating man in a sense like that, too. We have prosthetics that are getting extremely like legs, and and uh, we're getting arms and hands that are resembling uh, a human hand and arm. Uh, we're getting uh, prosth- we have prosthetics we put in in chins and in noses, in breasts, uh, in bones uh, that function like the regular stuff. Uh, we've got artificial hearts, not quite there yet. We have artificial kidneys that are outside the body. We haven't got to putting them inside the body yet. We have an artificial pancreas that we put in the body. If you remember the cyborg folks on uh, Star Trek, uh, you know, they were a hive kind of mentality. All these were half people, half machine. Well, we're going to be like that. We're putting pacemakers in hearts. We're putting wires in brains for Parkinson's. We can actually have wires in brains and have... uh, uh, people who have a need can tell an arm, a prosthetic arm, what to do uh, with these wires with just brain thoughts. Uh, there's a very uh, quoted case where a guy who dreamt lost his arm or lost function of his arms, and he dreamt he'd love to hold up a glass of beer and drink it, and he actually could do this with stimulation of his brain with these electrodes. He could lift it and drink it. And so, God, we're we're making people into robots, and we're making robots into people. And it's a convergence of design, which I talk about in the book, because if you look at uh, the, the development like robotic vision, you go way, way back to you know, the discovery of glass uh, on a beach uh, from a lightning strike to making magnifying lenses and making glasses and making uh, binoculars and telescopes and microscopes on and on until you get to robotic vision, uh, like TV, you know, from TV and video to robotic vision. We do this, you do the same thing with ears and hearing. So we're copying those senses. We're copying the senses that we have in our hands. Uh, The way we walk, we're copying that. If you go back to, like, cave drawings and go to sculptures and the mannequins, you see the development of the robot figure the way it's going to look, the way it does look. In fact, we have a half a robot uh, in the ISS, the International Space Station, the upper half, and it functions and looks a bit like a person. I mean, they have robots uh, serving drinks in Vegas, uh, and they're faster than people and more accurate. And Probably don't put a Mickey in there like you worry about in some bars. <laughs> uh, there was a uh, and, restaurant uh, somewhere in California, probably the Los Angeles area, where, where they were trying to use drones to deliver drinks to tables, but it right. but it ran into somebody that was walking to the bathroom. They had to discontinue uh, it. So they haven't yeah. quite they haven't quite nailed it yet. But you brought up um, the six million dollar man in bionics from uh, well, that was probably in the mid seventies. And I remember seeing uh, uh, and you mentioned Star Trek as well. I remember seeing uh, Gene Roddenberry speak, and he was speculating that 
uh, the things that we were seeing on television, the bionic arms and legs and eyes and so on, that that was something that was going to be absolutely necessary for space exploration because people were too fragile and our senses were not really strong enough to pick up and see and hear the things that we would want to see and hear um, in space exploration because of, you know, completely different uh, environmental mm -hmm. conditions and so on. Um, he he wasn't quite ready to adapt robots the way we do now um, at that time, but he likened it to an evolution of sorts, that it was a natural thing as we want to explore beyond our planet. We need to re-create uh, ourselves exactly into something that can function in different environments absolutely and uh the robots can do that i mean they don't need an oxygen tank or oxygen mask or a suit that's inflated with oxygen in it uh they don't need that at all uh they don't need to find a water source uh i i think with roddenberry i would love to have heard him talk i would have loved to have met him I have met Carl Sagan in the past and heard him talk. His wife was but on the show a few weeks ago. Carl Sagan's wife? Yeah, Andrean. Oh, yeah. I, she helped him write some of his books. Oh, yeah. And uh, she wrote the the, uh, the TV series. Did she? Yeah. Uh, when I saw, when I met him, I heard him talk in Eugene, Oregon. He came through here. Uh, some time ago, it was a year or two before he died, so it's it's quite a time back. And I talked to him after this talk, got to meet him, and and I talk, asked him, you know, with all the complications of making a person, the complexity, not the complications, I guess, but the complexities upon complexities, on complexities, you know, how is did this happen? That uh, evolution, and he's an atheist, or he was, and he I don't know what he was in his last days, but if he changed, but he was a, a very clear-cut, you know, widely known atheist, and he said he felt that six million years, or four million years, rather, was long enough for this to come about, for evolution to come all the way to a human being. And I really, really disagree with that, but I, I hadn't written my book yet, uh, the first book, what Darwin didn't know, and now what I know, I know he was wrong. I mean, it, it would take six billion years times six billion years to have anything remotely resembling uh, a kidney or a brain, just a brain. Uh, you know, a human brain, 35 trillion cells. Each cell knows what it's supposed to do, and each, each cell can have up to 10,000, you know, arms in a sense, touching out to other arms of cells to send information. And how select groups of these work together with other select groups it's beyond comprehension i don't think it could have happened in 20 billion years and i explained a lot of that in my book and uh, there's a long list of uh, other authors who i know i'm good friends with the discovery institute steve meyer and michael b are among them and, and bill dembski these are fairly big named big names within this area and we all have books out and several of them explaining basically explaining how it's impossible to have happened on its own and like an information system. 
You know, DNA, what's, in, what's interesting about that, though, Jeffrey, is the, the theory of natural selection um, provides the mechanics for something that's very difficult to explain in a way that religion doesn't. And I mm-hmm. think that's one of the reasons why it has become carved in stone, as you described it earlier. Yeah, except, and I hear you, except there's a problem with Natural selection exists. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but it only exists within a species. It doesn't change one species to another. And so you can't make a cat into a dog or vice versa or anything resembling the other species. You can make a moth a different color with natural selection. Uh, Darwin was looking at horses mostly and dogs a bit, and he could see that so, uh, we could breed horses to run faster and faster. And so it was not a hard jump for him to say, well, you know, that this happens in nature, that the fastest animal, the most reproducting, the one that reproduces the most, the most camouflaged animal, uh, they're selected for survival. I don't think there's anything wrong with that theory. The problem is, how do you get to the next level? How do you get a fish crawling out of water uh, becoming another animal? And as the fish comes out of the water, it knows what to eat on land, and it knows it's protected from the sun, and it knows it's got the right apparatus to breathe. This isn't natural selection. We, have, we don't have fishes crawling out of the water in the past. We had a partial lung and knew how, what berries to eat and how to get them. And how did you go from, if you, not you, of course, how did you go from dinosaurs to birds and, and jumping into, flying up to trees and knowing how to land in them? You know, it, it's a bit of a stretch when you start looking at it as closely as we do nowadays rather than his day. In his day, it made a lot of sense. But, uh, and the same thing with mitosis, not mitosis, uh, uh, with mutations. Uh, yeah, there can be a beneficial mutation, but it's extremely rare. And uh, usually mutations result in bad things. Uh, the uh, child isn't born or the offspring of whatever animal is, isn't born or is born with such deformities that it really can't function, survive. In fact, nature has a very odd system where they kill the deformed, which is uh, kind of gross and hard to watch. Uh, Anyway, natural selection is a good thought, but it won't work for in nature any more than uh, other than in improving a species. You know, you can have a, a bigger, stronger gorilla, but you can't make a gorilla into a person. No matter what you do, they have a different number of genes. Uh, they have uh, a s- select problems with different in their skin than us. They have differences in their face, but mostly they have a difference. We have a difference, a big difference, in the brain. And I sometimes use the example of a typewriter. Think of all those keys as being parts of genes, and then type the word like eyelid. And so that would be your instructions to make eyelids. So you type those six letters. Well, then you come back and you, and you need the word eyebrow. So you use some of the genes for eye and some of the genes for brow. And it, it, they, we have, uh, we don't know if it's 20,000 or 100,000 genes, but not only that, but they do duplicate work, like eyebrow and eyelid, and, and they jump around. 
they're information systems that tell the next stage what proteins to make, uh, what enzymes to make. And there's, an, uh, there's a Dr. Marcus from Brazil who came up with a huge study, and he's a, he's a very accomplished, and he has a book, the name of which escapes me. Uh, but he showed and talks about even though the genes of a monkey and the genes of a human resemble each other, and some people say are 95% similar, the proteins that they make are not. There's like 30,000 different kinds of proteins that are different than the monkey makes. And so the messages in these genes, even though some of them resemble each other, are quite different. And so, yeah, Darwin breaks down when you get into the deep, deep details. Are you there? Yeah, I am. Am I here? <laughs> am I here? <laughs> yeah, it got quiet there for a second, Jeffrey. But uh, the... Um but but again, throwing back to this this idea of natural design, it it does feel for a lot of people like a building block. Like maybe it can't tell the whole story, but it's it's a beginning of sorts. Um, but yet, you know, you make a good case about the complexity of these things. And and I was just thinking as you were talking about the work that's being done with stem cells and taking a stem cell and and it somehow is able to figure out what it's supposed to become. Absolutely. And it's interesting because... Uh, and a lot of that work, the by the way, is way over my head. <laughs> no. Yeah, and I won't go into the depth of it, but if you think of it as a uh, uh, you know, stem cell, maybe think of it as a football player who can play all positions. Uh, it, it, it makes cells that do... Uh, Nerve become nerves. It makes cells that become muscles, but it makes the pre-muscle and the pre-pre-muscle, and each of those cells go on in several stages to get the muscle cell, and then the muscle cells know where to go and and how to link up. Um, it's it's uh, mind-boggling when you think about it, and it's information systems. We know that if you take one of these stem cells out of somebody, you can make them into sometimes multiple different things by stimulating them in a, in a proper way. And, I, you know, this is the way of future with probably with organ transplants because these are very clever little cells. But if you go back to the beginning of a baby, when the egg and the sperm get together uh, called conception and start rolling down the, or moving down the fallopian tube and the implant in the uterus, how does it know to do all that? And when the sperm joins the, uh, egg, uh, three billion chemical pieces, uh, without going into the chemistry, from the male join with these three billion pieces uh, from the female. They match up like a zipper uh, or, or 23 zippers or 23 pairs of these half zippers that come together. They know exactly where to go, how to hook up, and how to get to work. And this happens very, very quickly. We don't know how the DNA finds itself its match in in the uh, in the female when the male gets in there. Jeffrey, I have, to, the... I have to take another break here. Um, sure. Can you stick around and we can talk a little more and try and wrap this up? Although we're going to probably sure. end up scratching the surface no matter how long we go. 
But um, my guest is uh, Jeffrey Simmons. He's a uh, former medical reporter for KABC uh, Radio in Los Angeles. He has a book called Are We Here to Recreate Ourselves? The Convergence of Designs. And he's uh, been studying this stuff for a long time. So we're going to talk some more about macro evolution and intelligent design after we let our broadcast partners at 92.1 FM WFOV in Flint squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more right after this. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic as well as artists, musicians, candidates and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. 
Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, 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 take it away. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is a former medical reporter for KABC Radio in Los Angeles and the author of uh, several books, including his newest, Are We Here to Recreate Ourselves? The Convergence of Designs by Jeffrey Simmons. And Jeffrey uh, joins me by phone. Jeffrey, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, you bet, you bet. Um, okay, so we've... Uh, unpacked uh, birth and natural selection a little bit um i i, I want to see if there what your thoughts are on whether or not there's a connection between um the so-called spark of life and the big bang theory mm. um you know, the big <laughs> bang is pretty, pretty popular now yeah well, the Big Bang is pretty popular now, and, uh, uh, you know, there's some scientific information that supports it by the, the fact that planets seem to be racing away from some, some uh, semi-central place, and, and that's an explanation. But there's a lot of discussion about what preceded the Big, ba- Big Bang, for one. And, it's uh, dis- it seems like another magical explanation. Yeah. Well, we have to. We see. We seek answers, and we come up sometimes with answers that kind of fit things. But we've been doing that for a long time, and we've been wrong about a lot of things. And I'm sure, 100, 200 years from now, they can look back at us and think we were just as unsmart as we, or uninformed as we think people were before. But I, it, it's a very popular theory. I don't. I'm not an expert enough to argue uh, on a, a factual basis. But uh, I, I think there's a there's a, a, a in-between land, and in fact, I'm working with that in my next book. Uh, um, you know, to accept just that God did it, or to accept just that God didn't do it, it as all natural processes. Uh, perhaps there's an in-between thing that uh, God did it, or some uh, intelligent designer did it, and there are phenomena and set up all the natural laws, and are either supervising a lot of what's going on, changing what's going on. Or it began with a process that was able to change with, uh, with uh, just like the cells in a body. You come up with an egg and a uh, sperm that uh, form one fertilized egg. Well, there's a lot of options in there what's going to happen. And so maybe that happened with us, too. I mean, some people who poke fun at me say, what do you think, they got dropped a whale from, like, in a, an aquarium and dropped them into a, an aquarium like that? Well... Maybe that's what happened. We don't know. I, in fact, in one of my previous books, I talk about how <laughs> or, complicated or, the whale is. Or, or, or if you uh, 
you know, follow the Jonah story, two whales. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> just the giraffe. One of the books that I wrote, wrote uh, was basically seeded by a book called The Neck of the Giraffe, and we have no explanation really why the neck got as long as it did, and it has so many complications, not complications, I keep using the word incorrectly, complexities, uh, to survive. I mean, a giraffe has a mechanism at the top of its neck so that if it has to bring its head back up and run away from a, a race away from a, a tiger, it doesn't pass out. Try that yourself. A ring come up from your head being down so low, you might pass out. It's a special reservoir of blood that's out there. It's foresight. And so people say, well, the giraffe, it, it needed to reach higher and higher branches. But it, 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 it could have reached a lot of branches a lot shorter. And uh, we don't know why it came about. I talk about the elephant, how complicated the elephant trunk is. And we have no evidence of, of uh, evolution in the trunk. We have no evolution in the neck of the giraffe. We have no evidence for evolution of the dolphin. The dolphin's been the same for millions of years. Dolphin and the whale remain unexplained. We don't have anything that explains how they came about with a hole on the top of their head, how they breathe, and, and their complex communication systems. Uh, and so there's a lot of failures of the Darwin system. It only makes sense on the surface. But like I say, there are facts within the Darwin system, like natural selection, that do work in select situations. But we're complex information systems. And we find this even on the microscopic level. We have these machineries of sorts these rotary tails, Michael Behe writes about it. It's like a gear mechanism, and we have no idea how that came about. Uh, you take any any group of, well, you know, this is interesting. There's a beetle, a bombardier beetle, that has two exhausts, basically, at the back end, for which combine, and when they combine, as they fire off, they explode. That's their defense mechanism against frogs and, and lizards and, in fact, where it's called the Nairobi eye, where they explode and get in a person's eye because they can be found in the Nairobi area. Uh, so we can't have Chanel on one side and and uh, uh, Windex on the other side. I mean, it has to be the right chemicals, and it is no trial and error. I mean, how, how could nature plan uh, trying this chemical, try that chemical? Let's see if these work. See if they can be aimed and explode together. It happened all together at the same time. The same thing with the skunk. We didn't have skunks that uh, uh, sprayed something that was really pleasant or had no protective mechanism. It came about totally on its own. It wasn't slow evolution. One of the points I was getting back, getting at earlier is, though, could there be God supervision? If you're religious, you could, you could look at this as God did it, and then God helped manage everything as things went along, was it an experiment? Are we in a big terrarium? You know, uh, that wouldn't be biblical. But I mean, it's it's conceivable that Darwin's thoughts are correct. They just don't explain a lot of things. But it's interesting you say that, Jeffrey, because you know I I can remember um, at least some of the fallout from the war between science and religion of the fifties and sixties. Okay. And, bet. and <clears throat> But yet, I've read things by many scientists who um, are, are extremely accomplished and have been studying things um, that say 
there is another factor. There is probably a God factor. And it's, it's interesting to see um, those two sides um, converging. Yeah, I, lots and lots of people who are interested in this issue take one side or the other. I, I kind of favor a combination, and it works best for me, and uh, it's one of the things I'm writing about now. And, I mean, how if we came about by evolution, where all these natural laws come from? Uh, how did we end up on an, a planet that was right for us? It's, they call it the Goldilocks phenomenon or the Goldilocks something, and the you know the temperature was just right, right temperature, the, uh, right mix of oxygen and nitrogen, etc. Yeah, the table was set for us so we could be here, and uh, unlike any other planet that we know of to date, and or were we designed planet. to fit where the place was? Yeah, well, it, it's a mix and match, uh, and there's some been some changes. There's some thoughts that when the dinosaurs were around, it was a lot hotter, uh, maybe 30 degrees average hotter. Uh, you know, w the water, where did the water come from? We, there, there's no planet that we know of so far that has anything like what we have in the amount of water. And it, it, we discarded the idea that it was just comets hitting us. Uh, and not only that, but the water we find in comets appears to be slightly different on an anatomical, an atomic level. Where all that water come from? And think of the water cycle. I mean, that we totally depend on the water going evaporating up, coming down in the mountains, coming back down in the rivers, fertilizing the, the not fertilizing, but watering the fields, going into the seas and going back up again, around and around. Where this cycle from plants to people when it comes to breathing? We breathe out carbon dioxide. They suck in carbon dioxide and send out oxygen. We breathe in oxygen. This cycle had to be intact in place. You couldn't just have the plants without us, in a sense. You couldn't have the people without the plants. I find these things miraculous. I find the fact that even a, a fruit can look and smell at a certain point that we can tell that it's ripe. Um, Jeffrey, we're going to have to... Um we're going to have to end it there, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about sure. what we've been talking about. Um, obviously, the book is a great place to start. Are we uh, here to recreate ourselves? The Convergence of De Designs by Jeffrey Simmons, M.D. Um, Jeffrey, do you have a website? You know, I get, always get asked that, and I keep planning to do one. No, but you can find me easily by Googling my name. It's Jeffrey with a G, G-O-F. G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, Simmons, like the mattress, and I'm not the killer in Neptune, Florida, and I'm not a lawyer <laughs> in Pennsylvania, but, but, but you get a lot of hits. But also, I have there's several websites where my life is discussed. There's pictures of me, if you can stand to look at me. I'm an old codger. But also on Amazon, my, all my books, I have 10 books, uh, four novels, one of which did spectacular. I have two satires, which I'm trying to peddle, anybody's interested in crazy medical satire uh, called The Glue Factory, and then I have a disaster preparedness book that is really outdated now, so don't buy it, and then these three books. And so just Google me or go on Amazon.com, and you can find me, and uh, uh, maybe I'll have a website next week or next year. I keep toying with the idea, but nope. 
I'm out there. And well, I but there, but there's information out there so people can find out about your work, past, present, and future. And I, yeah, I'd have blogs too. One on Evolution News, and another one called Aish.com. A I S H comes dot com comes out of Jerusalem. Well, Jeffrey, thanks so much for spending this hour with me. I appreciate it. It's a fascinating thank subject, you. and you're a delight to talk to. Um, well, best of you. luck with the book. Thank you very, very much. It's been nice. I'm going to go back to bed now. I'm on the West Coast. Oh, boy. All right. Well, get some sleep. Thank you, Jeff. Take care. Bye-bye. Up next, we remember the wreck of the Ebony Fitzgerald. Get off my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on. Get out of here. 